Welcome to the Wild and Well-Fed podcast, where we discuss women's health beyond nutrition. Get ready for practical, sustainable, real-life health topics that will help bring you closer to nature and your feminine roots. This is your host, Laura Lyons, and I'm here with my co-host, Annika Nicole. Let's get wildly nourished. The Wild and Well-Fed podcast is not medical advice, diagnosis, or prescription. No information in this podcast should be considered as medical advice or treated as such. Please consult your doctor before implementing any nutritional, supplemental, or lifestyle changes. Welcome back to the Wild and Well-Fed podcast. In this episode, we'll be having a discussion on unlearning diet culture. Both Annika and I fell deep into diet culture at one point, as you have heard on previous episodes, some in an attempt to lose weight or heal our symptoms, mostly just in disguise as healthy eating or what we would call orthorexic tendencies. And I guess some of you might not be super familiar with what diet culture is, so we will be giving a little bit of a description um, on what that means. But first, I wanted to dive into the history of diet culture. So back in the day, dieting to lose weight was not a super popular thing since there weren't too many options. People basically just ate exclusively local foods that were in season. So diets consisted only of what humans could find on their land or hunted. So we were basically just eating for survival, not a body size or shape. And today's dieting is only possible due to modern transportation and industrialization. So it's definitely not natural to consume foods out of season. Eating a smoothie bowl or a salad in the dead of winter is not physiologically appropriate, and it's making us think that dieting is possible. So let's dive into the history a little bit. So the idea of this whole idea of being fit is not necessarily a new idea, uh, but not in the same sense as it is now. So the Greeks were the first to associate fitness and health with having a healthy mind. They associated fitness and a healthy body with physical abilities, not necessarily a certain shape or size, but just with being strong and capable. Uh, But the first diet book, which this is shocking, I know, came out in 1558. (laughs) And it's still in print today. Um, It's called The Art of Living Long. And basically, this book advised you to limit yourself to 12 ounces of food a day. So to put that in perspective, that's less than like a pint, a pint um, of like water and 14 ounces of wine a day. So I guess you could consume more wine (laughs) than than food (laughs) in this book. (laughs) Uh, But so that was the first book in 1558. um, And you could probably still find it today somewhere, um, probably at like a thrift shop or something, or, you know, maybe Amazon, I didn't look, but um, the next one came out in 1730, and this one was called The Natural Method of Curing the Diseases of the Body, which is basically just the author's account of shedding weight once they became vegetarian and just became lifelong vegetarian due to being able to lose weight on that diet. Um, and then in the 1900s, the first diet influencer emerged, and quote-unquote influencer um, His name was Lord Byron, (laughs) and he was considered the most beautiful man in the world. And his diet consisted of starving himself and then binge eating. 
And after, he would try to sweat off any gained weight by wearing multiple layers of clothing. <laughs> and this is a man, you know, this is a whole, the, uh, most, of, most of the dieting actually does come from men, which is interesting. Um, he is also the inventor of the, the classic vinegar diet. So, I mean, it's all over the internet now, but the apple cider vinegar before your meals um, as a dieting technique, this is actually something that he came up with. Um, but there's actually records of women in the 18 or in the 1900s dying from drinking pints of vinegar due to <laughs> this uh, dieting technique. So, um, yeah, dangerous. But in 1825, the first low carb diet came into the scene. Um, this is a book, the, the Physiology of Taste or meditations on transcendental gastronomy. So this, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but the author basically documented the idea of avoiding bread, flour-based foods, um, sugar, starchy foods like potatoes. And his diet basically became like the blueprint for the extremely popular diets like paleo, keto, Atkins, carnivore, and things like that. Um, and then one of the weirdest diets in the early 1900s was Fletcherism, which is when people chewed every mouthful 32 times or until it became liquid and then spit it out. So yeah, those are just a few examples of how diet culture has been around for a lot longer than you would assume. Um, it's definitely not something new, but modern day diet culture is a little bit different. So Annika, did you kind of want to go into what modern day diet yes. culture is? Yes. And it's funny how different it is from things like chewing and spitting out your food. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. So Laura and I talk about dieting and diet culture all the time. And kind of what we have realized is that there's two totally separate realms of diet culture. The first is kind of the mainstream diet culture, like the fads you would see in the stores of calorie counting salads, low carb restriction diets, like the Atkins diet. Like, you know, when you're in the grocery store and right before you check out, there's all those magazines that are like 30 recipes to lose weight this summer, whatever. That's that's what we're kind of talking about. So lean cuisines, low calorie cosmic brownies, zero calorie drinks, diet and light options for foods and sodas. Basically what you picture when you hear your mom say she's going on a diet. So the er, I put early to or early 90s uh 2000s dieting, but that's really been around since what probably the 70s, 60s cuz oh, our yeah. moms low our fat. moms did that. Low calorie, low mm -hmm. fat um all of that. So basically there's this classic dieting, which is what we kind of see as the gateway drug into the dieting that we see a lot in our practices, which is like therapeutic dieting. Yeah. I mean, one of the only reasons why people make the decision to diet or to eat differently is just because they're seeing health and physical consequences. So otherwise there's no motivation or it's learned behavior, honestly, from like your parents or the people around you. But a lot of the times health is not even a motivator. It's once you start seeing changes in how you look that you decide that hmm, I'm going to go on a diet or I'm going to change my eating habits. So you kind of stop looking as, as at food as nourishment, but more as the enemy. So you start going down um, the diet, uh, the therapeutic diets, which include a ton of restriction. Mm -hmm. But that's what's really important. And we see this in our practice. Most of the women that are coming to us are women that started 
their health journey, quote unquote, by dieting because they didn't like the way that they looked. Very rarely have we had someone come to us going down this rabbit hole of diets and then therapeutic diets because they wanted to get healthy. It's always stemming from some sort of an insecurity and usually weight. And it's usually women kind of in our generation, although it's we work with women of all ages and they all have this skinniness diet culture programmed into their brains. It's like just part of our brains at this point from what we grew up with. So anyway, like we said, we've noticed that this mainstream dieting is literally the gateway drug into therapeutic diets because you try this mainstream type of diet, calorie counting, low carb, Atkins diet, whatever, whatever you chose. Um, and then you realize that that made you extremely sick. And so now you have to heal. And that's what gets you into the therapeutic dieting. So this is where we see someone that came from Atkins diet, for example, but they got really sick. And so now they're trying keto, which is kind of Atkins, I guess you could say, or paleo or vegan or AIP, which is autoimmune paleo or low FODMAP. And even sometimes things like carnivores start to come into play. So someone gets sick from one of these diets, then they go right into another diet, which is the therapeutic, quote unquote, therapeutic healing diets that we see all the time. So dieters are really attracted to this, obviously, because it's another strict diet with another very strict set of rules and that they can just seamlessly transition into. And people love rules and diets and outlines, and they just feel like if they're following something like that, they're going to get better without really realizing what that is doing to their health. So the bottom line is anyone immersed in diet culture does not understand their bodies their female physiology, their needs, their cravings, their caloric intake minimums, any of that. And the common thing that we see over and over is that every dieter, every single person that's on a diet is approaching their body from a place of looking at their body as the enemy and then therefore depriving their body of their basic needs, such as enough calories, enough protein, enough carbs, enough variety, whatever it is, to the point that you're harming yourself. So dieters, anyone dieting, is actively working against their body and seeing their body as the enemy instead of working as a team with their body to attain a certain shape or weight loss or whatever. So they are harming their body in the name of trying to achieve a certain look. So any type of restriction and restrictive behavior is constantly just sending your body the message that you don't trust it, it doesn't deserve what it wants and needs, and that you are against it. So of course, there is this intuitive eating versus this intentional eating that we're going to talk about right now. And that's what we see over and over in diet culture. People that are trying to heal from diet culture is they go, well, I'm done with all of this stuff. I'm going to eat intuitively. and while we do agree with some of the principles of that, we actually want to talk about why we advocate for intentional eating instead of intuitive eating and how you can use intentional eating that we teach to eventually get to intuitive eating. But we do see so many people go from the strict, strict dieting to like, screw everything. I'm going to do whatever I want and eat whatever I want. And we also see that as very harmful too, because a lot of times we're so messed up and we're so out of balance from these diets that we actually need to reteach our bodies what's good for them. So Laura, do you want to talk a little bit about intuitive eating versus intentional eating and how you can use intentional eating to eventually be able to trust your body again and be able to eat intuitively? 
Yeah. Um, I actually, I have a Instagram post on this from a while ago that you guys can check out, but, um, Basically, intuitive eating is a very is a newer concept. It came out in the 90s or like 2000s. Um, it's basically the idea that you can just listen to your body's hunger signals and cravings to tell you what you should eat and when you should eat. And of course, that sounds great. That sounds like something we should all be able to do. And I really like the idea, but that's not how the world works anymore. <laughs> so in my opinion, it's lazy. It's just an excuse to eat trash. Um, it can be super detrimental, just as detrimental as dieting is. Telling people that they can just skip meals because they're not hungry or eat Doritos because their body is craving it is harmful. Um, you know, basically this idea that you can, that you have these certain hunger signals and you can, you can not eat or just eat when you want to. So we're either talking, a lot of this comes from people that have like past history of like eating disorders, like, oh, just intuitively eat. If you have a past of having an eating disorder or have been dieting at all, you have, you don't have those signals anymore. So this is really harmful. But basically just because, you know, you're not hungry for breakfast or lunch because you're super stressed out and you're running on stress hormones, does that mean you shouldn't eat? No. Or because you wake up without an appetite, you should just go straight to coffee, right? No, <laughs> we know better. Uh, you know, if you're craving Chinese food, does that mean you should just go to a shitty Chinese buffet and have it? No, <laughs> we know better. <laughs> or at least we should know better. But um Basically, this practice of intuitive eating will tell you that it's okay that you eat these certain things um, or to not eat if you're not hungry. But I think a big part of that, a big part of this is that we all are just so disconnected from our bodies. Our blood sugar is all over the place. So, you know, the only reason why you're going to go binge at a Chinese buffet is because your blood sugar is so imbalanced. You probably haven't eaten all day because intuitively your body might be saying, oh, I'm not hungry right now. Right. So I'm just going to eat later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not, that's not your hunger signals talking to you. So you would think that you know, we would all have this nice, balanced um, hunger signal that's telling us when to eat, when not to eat. Um, and we would only crave nutrient-dense foods that our bodies actually need. But that's not how it works nowadays. And women are just super disconnected from their body signals and really stressed out. And on top of that, we're being bombarded with health information galore and advertisements telling us to eat all these highly palatable foods loaded with additives to make you actually addicted to this food. So on top of that, um, we've just lost our innate wisdom and our hunger, our hunger signals. So we can't, I hate to say it, but we can't be trusted <laughs> to actually nourish ourselves appropriately because none of us were actually taught how to listen to our bodies or our hunger cues. Uh, we've basically been trained to ignore our hunger signals, which leads to blood sugar dysregulation, binging, skipping meals, and just a constant blood sugar roller coaster. So I think another thing we always get asked this about, you know, how can, how do you know if you're hungry, if your stomach isn't growling? There's so many other, I mean, if you have any symptoms at all, it's probably linked to the fact that you're just not eating enough or on a consistent schedule or you're ignoring those hunger signals. So imbalanced blood sugar does show up as hunger, as hunger signals or drops in your blood sugar, like shaking, getting that like hangry, moody feeling. Um, and then the downstream effect is going to be on your entire body. So that's going to be on your hormones, your gut, your thyroid, and your metabolic health is going to suffer too. So 
in my opinion, you cannot intuitively eat until you earn the right to intuitively eat. <laughs> so you need to have a deep understanding of what foods are most nutrient dense and work for your body and focus on those. Um, you maybe have to track your food for a period of time to understand portions and to see if you're getting in enough of each macro. And a lot of people will argue and say that this is doing something like this is uh, not helpful or it's bad for people that have an eating disorder. I'm like, I feel like this can come from a place of empowerment. It just depends on how you go about it. Um, and I think it can be really helpful for people that have never tracked food before to track just some, just to see where you're at, see how, see how things are going. Um, and also to just making sure that you're paying attention to how you eat and you're not distracted and stressed out. Uh, you know, you're not going to intuitively eat if you're completely distracted and stressed out all day. Um, you understand how your blood sugar works. So you're paying attention to that. You're eating every three to four hours naturally. This is a natural response. Most women will find that they are hungry every three to four hours, and this is very healthy. Um, you also understand food combining and how you feel when you eat more protein or um, you know, if you were to eat a naked carb, how that impacts your body. So um, basically, we're just so disconnected from our bodies to intuitively eat. You cannot do that until you earn the right to do that. Um, and even still, that might require checking in every now and then uh, when life gets stressful or overwhelming, just to make sure that you're actually nourishing yourself and that you're eating frequently. Uh, women tend to skip meals when when we're stressed out and that has a major downstream effect on your hormones and basically your entire body so just checking in with yourself and you know don't don't you can't I mean I would say that I now intuitively eat but I've earned my right and Annika you can probably say the mm -hmm. same right oh absolutely and but it didn't come without relearning how how to nourish my body and how to eat uh, what I need in order to properly fuel myself and how I need to eat, how much protein I need to eat, how many calories I need to eat to feel good and how frequently. So the fact that I think the whole intuitive eating thing is like throw all the all the rules, quote unquote, out the window and just do whatever you want is so harmful because we're so disconnected, like everything you just said. But I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever gone down the intuitive eating rabbit hole on Instagram? I have, and it's along the same lines as like the body yes. positivity movement. Yes, it is nuts. Yeah. You will see people encouraging people to eat like two Big Macs at McDonald's because, you know, you're yeah. hungry and you need it. And it's so, they're just not including yeah. so much critical information. Like the reason you are even able to consume two Big Macs is because of the addictive chemicals added to it. Like no one in their right yeah. mind could consume two Big Macs at McDonald's or two uh, Chipotle burritos. I've seen that one. It's like, yeah. I mean, and Chipotle is even like a better one, but it's still just like you said, the Dorito example, these are not foods. People don't get it. They are with added addictive substances that tell your body yep. to eat more. So it's just girls encouraging girls to get really sick and gain a lot of weight and get mm -hmm. diseases. And it's so sad. There's no, there's no balance. So it's like, I feel, and a lot of this just comes down to the fact that none of us were educated. None of us understand our bodies. Mm -hmm. None of us understand our physiology. Mm -hmm. None of us understand how yes. we should eat to, to feel good. Right. So that disconnect 
makes us think that we can go and eat two Big Macs just because my body is saying I'm craving that right now. But a person that's actually in tune with their body will be like, okay, what is it that I actually need right now? What am I craving? Why am I craving that? And kind of like get curious about why, why is that happening and then make a decision, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it really is just the disconnect. We, and that's exactly what this movement is, is it's just telling people to just go all in, go ham, just eat whatever you want, whenever you want. And honestly, that's not, if you actually listen to your body, you wouldn't be doing that. The day I go and eat a Big Mac, I mean, I, I must be on my deathbed <laughs> because I would never do that. Like, that's something, like I, I, we all know, but I think we are in a day and age where everybody knows that eating McDonald's is not the right choice, right? Like everybody Mm -hmm. knows this. Yes. Yes. And when I was able to do things like that, which I used to do, it's because I was doing a binge restrict cycle. So I had been restricting myself all day, which is the only reason I could even get that quantity of food in my body. But when you're properly nourishing yourself all day, you don't even have those cravings. And the saddest thing to me about the intuitive eating movement is it's normally girls get into it that have been intensely dieting for a very long time. So they're usually very undernourished and very underweight. And so they start intuitive eating and they will put on a hundred pounds in literally the snap of your fingers. And then everyone's just encouraging that. And because like you said, the body positivity movement plays into it too. And it's just it's truly sad. Like I'm not here. We're not here to be telling these people how terrible they are. We just hope that they find, they find what's actually right for them because that is such a sad and destructive path. And we, we don't want to see anyone go down that path because it is really detrimental. So. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've also, I mean, you've probably worked with some women that go all Mm -hmm. in, right. And they put on a hundred pounds over like a year because they're just done mm-hmm. with dieting, right? So then they're just like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to eat whatever I want. Oh my gosh, the lab markers that come back for them and the amount of work that they now need to put in because their body is not used to being that size. And um, they went all in and they're just eating crap. And it's it's actually extremely detrimental. And I've seen it numerous times in my practice that this idea of just going all in to heal an eating disorder or to heal um, your relationship with food is actually doing the exact opposite. So I guess that's kind of where we come in though, right? Yes. I mean, that's what, why we do the work that we yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to your point, how fast you can get a disease while doing that mm-hmm. is actually frightening. I mean, it's, pure, it's, it's inflammation, inflammation and it will lead to, it'll yeah. come out one way or another, right? So whether that's a thyroid yeah. issue, blood pressure, all of the above, something major happens in the body and it can be very difficult to recover from. So yeah. Yeah. And also the uh, intuitive eating movement too is also big on the body positivity. So, um, it kind of gives these people that are already overweight, um, potentially obese, it makes them feel mm-hmm. better about their mm-hmm. decisions. And rather than taking responsibility and changing their habits and their lifestyle and the way that they're eating, 
they just use intuitive eating as the reason for why, you know, for why they don't lose weight or why they're, they are the way that they are. Right. So there's so many different, you know, outlets to this, but, um, those are just some of the things that I think were really important to touch on for what intuitive eating actually is. So yeah, did you want to tell us some classic signs and things you can look out for just to spot the difference between making a better decision with food and losing weight um, rather than disguising it as an eating disorder with yeah. eating? Yeah. <laughs> so like we kind of touched on earlier, weight loss and honestly, healing of any kind should never be the result of depriving your body and forcing a seemingly positive change, which usually is just a positive change from the outside with harmful behaviors. So what true healing is, is supplying your body with what it needs to properly let go of what it doesn't need. And in this example, that would be extra weight. So for examples of forcing a short-term positive change, which would be fake healing, with detrimental behaviors and habits like we talked about before would be things like restricting calories, fasting, over-exercising, and that's a that's an example of a short-term change that looks great from the outside but is achieved with unhealthy behavior and is not sustainable it will not last so basically anything that is not sustainable which is all the diet culture stuff we've been mentioning even the therapeutic diets are examples of disordered eating behavior and again short-term weight loss is a great example of that cuz it looks great everyone's telling you you look awesome you're doing fasted workouts at the gym at 5 a.m. you're restricting your calories you're intermittent fasting whatever it is you're going to probably lose weight especially if you've been coming from a standard american diet but you are not going to be able to sustain that so the, my example of that was when i got married in 2018 i went absolutely nuts to get to my ideal wedding weight. I was intermittent fasting until noon. I would not let I would only eat between the hours of noon and 6, which automatically greatly restricts your calories. That was when I was doing like paleo keto. So I would be eating no carbs basically, lots of cruciferous vegetables, that kind of thing. And up until my wedding, I all I thought about was food. I did not think about my wedding. I didn't th- I would go to bed looking at pictures of hamburgers on Pinterest. I'm not kidding. <laughs> like 3 days before my wedding, I went to get my spray tan and I stopped at Whole Foods and bought an entire bag of granola and a like gallon of almond milk and ate the entire bag cuz I was just on my deathbed of wanting to lose weight. So, I did it and then literally the day after my wedding, I just full on binged on my wedding cake to the point of being very sick. And basically from the day after my wedding ended until I'm not kidding, probably two years later, I was just gaining and gaining and gaining weight because, and that disordered behavior before my wedding was not new. I had been doing that for a while, but I just ramped it up right before the wedding. And I put myself in such a bad position. I mean, everyone was telling me, you look amazing. You look so good. And even by that point, I knew better in my head. And I would just think to myself, well, it's not going to last. And sure enough, it did not last because the binging that I did to recover from all that restriction just caught up with me so, so fast. So basically from that point of getting married in 2018 until finding uh, what we call pro-metabolic in late 2020, 
I was gaining weight just rapidly. Um, not, I mean, not like I hit a certain point where it stopped, but I was just inflamed, puffy over my normal weight. And then when I did find prometabolic or real food diet, whatever we're calling it, I was able to lose that inflammation and that weight without having to put a huge focus on losing that inflammation and weight simply because I was eating real foods that my body needed. Um, And I know that's different from everyone, but I kind of entered into pro-metabolic from a heavier standpoint for my body type than an like an underweight standpoint, which a lot of women enter into in an underweight standpoint. So I'm not saying what happened to me is the norm of what happens to everybody, but that was my experience just by eating real food and supplying my body with the nourishment that it actually needed. I think another thing is that we also operate as if our bodies are the same as men's and they're not. So men can get away with things like fasting, intermittent fasting, under eating, and all of that for longer periods of time than women can. And they don't experience the consequences as soon. And that's because our physiology is just so much different than theirs. So I think a lot of times we compare ourselves to men as well. And we're like, well, they can do this. They can do this. They can eat this. They can go this long without food. And it's really not, you can't, it's like comparing apples to oranges. You just can't, you can't really compare Yeah. So Laura, I think you also had a pretty similar experience with what you did to prepare for your wedding. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. The whole time I was just shaking my head as you were telling your story. I'm like, yes, this is (laughs) all. You're like, I did the same thing. This is very familiar. (laughs) I honestly think every woman probably has a wedding body story, you know, Um, (laughs) some kind of diet that you did or something that you did to um, try and lose weight before your wedding I mean it used to be like advertised didn't it yeah have you seen that reel that was on Instagram a while ago that was like why do all of our moms feel the need to tell us that they were a hundred pounds on our wedding on their wedding day yes they all do that (laughs) yeah because they have the photos everybody posts Uh photos of their wedding day because it's like the skinniest Uh you're ever gonna be it's like you're done up like this is the best you're Mm -hmm. ever going to look and your your parents (laughs) make it clear that this is the best you're ever going to look yes and moms are like oh I was I was a hundred pounds like it was just not even a thing like just so easy. And, well I'm going to be that person right now and let everybody know that I was actually like a hundred pounds on my wedding day. oh same for sure and did that last no, no. absolutely not so I no. think like a few weeks before my wedding day I had gotten down to like a size two for for me I was only a size two for maybe like a month right oh my gosh but I think though I had started looking at wedding dresses so early like I would say it was like two years in advance and then I found my dress so I needed to try and stay in this in this dress you know I needed to continue to always be this size and I think my dress was like a size four I am not I am not a size four guys like I will never be a size four I'm not even a size four (laughs) Laura's five nine I'm five two (laughs) like I fit my hips physically cannot be a size four okay like if I even have a little bit of fat on my body like a four that I can't even believe that was even a possibility at that time so um 
Yeah. So I was just like, for those two years before my wedding, it was just all about staying that size. Like I needed to stay that size or I needed to be smaller. I would be devastated if I went in and my dress didn't fit or something and I needed to get a new one. And it's not even like I went to some like fancy bridal shop. I mean, they could have just ordered me a new one in like a size eight, you know, (laughs) fine, not a big deal. (laughs) But at the time it was like the worst thing to ever think that how embarrassing, right? Like who would know? Um, That's so I know, I know. So basically for those two years, I was just fighting my body to stay this size to fit in my wedding dress. Um, this was also, this was around the time it's like, I had already, like, I had done all the, the dieting for like my digestive system. And then it just turned into like, okay, now I just have this, have to have this banging body for my wedding. Did one person give a shit about my body during my wedding? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm just like, this is so dumb. I like destroyed myself and my health for this wedding. <laughs> Did my husband care? No, <laughs> couldn't, I couldn't have cared less about what my body looked like on my wedding um but yeah I did the same thing I just I basically had to just keep those two years as strict and rigid as absolutely possible I had the exact same routine for two years the same foods that I was eating every single day in fear that I was going to gain weight before my wedding so then the morning after the wedding oh I remember the week of the wedding I was I was mm. a bitch like I oh, oh, same. oh I had so I had to fly Stay out away. Yeah, I had to fly out to Cape Cod to my parents' house on Cape Cod in Massachusetts because that's where my wedding was and I was there for a whole week prior to the wedding just making sure everything was good you know the venue is good all this stuff was ready to go and of course I'm still in my like I need to have everything meal prepped I can only eat these certain foods mm-hmm. so I spent the time and our cape house was is like our summer house so there's not like a ton of utensils and stuff to like meal prep but I just showed up thinking I was gonna just have all this stuff to like meal prep and everything <laughs> And then we were going to go stay at our hotel and I was like hoping to like meal prep everything so I could just like heat stuff up while I was in the hotel room. It was a whole thing. And I just remember getting so irritated and pissed off at my mom because she didn't have a proper utensil or like it was like a Teflon like pan or I can't. I even tried, like, I think because we didn't have the proper utensils or, like, the pans were so bad that, like, I tried heating up eggs in the microwave, like, scrambled eggs in the microwave. I I cannot. And then I was pissed off the whole day because I didn't get to have my eggs. And, like, it was, like... back i can't this talk about being dysregulated and undernourished like somebody who's actually nourished does not act this way no, <laughs> no. i just remember freaking out about all of that i remember our refrigerator in the hotel we were staying um went out so like it didn't it wasn't working so any of the food that i prepped and brought with me <laughs> all went bad <laughs> the days before the wedding and so I was all mad about that and I was like so angry that I had to like go get tacos one night like I should I why am I eating tacos like I can't eat these or like french fries and then the following morning I had woke up and it was like almost like a weight lifted off my shoulders because I was like wow I'm not to fit in that dress anymore so mm-hmm. I binged so hardcore that mm-hmm. following day like it mm-hmm. I 
I was like sick to my stomach because of how much I binged the following yeah. day because I yep. felt this like insane sense of freedom <laughs> because I didn't have to get yep. into the dress anymore. So yeah, that's part of my story. But um, but yeah, I did the same thing. And I'm sure every single woman that's listening to this right now has some crazy story about trying to fit into this wedding dress and what they did for those years or months leading up to their wedding. <laughs> Yeah, this is a formal apology to my family. (laughs) I am not normally like this, but the week leading up to my wedding, my brother started calling me Zill. (laughs) He'd be like, oh, there comes Zill again. It's just because I was so I don't even think me and my mom were talking the day of my wedding. It was so bad. (laughs) Do you remember what you ate the day of yours? Because I know I ate two pieces of turkey. A quarter of an avocado and green tea. (laughs) Well, my sweet potatoes went bad, so I wasn't able to eat what I wanted to eat because the refrigerator was out. But I don't remember what I ate. I remember my friend brought deli meat, though, and like stuff to make sandwiches and um, while we were getting ready. And all Mm -hmm. I ate was the turkey. I wouldn't eat like anything. Oh, I had turkey deli meat, too. That's what I had. Oh, my But the following day was great. We went to Martha's Vineyard. I ate, like, fried food. I had a huge Mm -hmm. breakfast at the hotel the morning after. (laughs) It was wonderful. (laughs) Did that stick? Not really. I kind of went back to my, you know, shenanigans right away. And then, you know, I ended up moving to Portland and said, screw this. And, you know, kind of got my life back together and ate like a normal human being. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to my friend Annie on Instagram. Her name is Mom Mindfully. Some of you guys probably follow her. But she was also keto and she was keto on her honeymoon. And she was like, the way that my husband did not care that I was keto and just wanted me to eat some normal Uh food. Like they don't care. No one cares. And you're just so obsessed. Cause I did, I was the same thing. I was, I was AIP, I think on my honeymoon. Mm -hmm. I don't think I followed it that strictly, but I tried. And it's just like, no one cares. You're no fun to be around. All your husband wants is for yeah. you to eat some normal food and be nice. You're, you're zero fun. Like zero fun. My husband yeah, always zero. says, he's like, I am so glad that you're over all of that, over that stage. Like you are so yeah. much more fun to be around. You know? Yeah. Whenever you talk about your dieting history, doesn't he go, boring. Yes, that's exactly what he does. Boring. <laughs> And it's so funny because one of my biggest reliefs and most like the most excited I am about my well, okay, I'm excited about a lot of things when I get remarried at some point. But the fact that I'm not going to be starving myself for the wedding Uh and like actually enjoy the day and the process is going to be like a totally different experience. Mm -hmm. So totally very excited for that for round two. better outlook you know uh-huh yeah definitely so anyway um we could probably talk about that forever but um another thing that we kind of want to talk about when it comes to dieting and diet culture is why it is especially harmful to females and feminine physiology and why keeping up with the guys and living in masculine energy can be so harmful for us as women so do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah, so we are going to be diving into on our next episode all about like relearning femininity and well that's what we're going to be talking more about like masculine energy, but 
When it comes to dieting, something that's crazy that a lot of people don't know about is basically all studies on diets and nutrition have been done on men. So there's there's mm-hmm. none out there. Well, there's some now. Like, you know, there's there's more coming out now, especially with menopausal women, but the reason B is because women are just too complicated. We have cycles and it's hard to determine how a woman was, is going to respond to a diet because we're, you know, every day is different for a woman. Our hormones are always different. So we might, you know, we might be able to handle carbs better on a certain part of our cycle than on another part of our cycle, or uh, we might be able to handle fasting better on a different part of our cycle. So um, it's basically absolutely impossible to do a study on women with the, on what, with diets, with how, how diets work in the body. So, um, basically all of the evidence for these diets are based off of male physiology. So, um, yeah, we'll dive a little bit more into the feminine masculine energy, but that's just something I feel like was really important to touch on, um, when it comes to diet culture and dieting. Yeah. Because when you're, when you're, immersed in diet culture like we were. I feel like diet culture or healing diets, therapeutic diets just go hand in hand with binging nutrition podcasts. Mm -hmm. You just, you can't do one without the other because you're learning about fasting and autophagy Mm -hmm. and how important it is to, um, do all these things, but the, all these studies and they'll reference studies, study show, study show, well, studies are usually on rats, mice, and men. Mm-hmm. Like they're not on cycling females that are trying to prioritize fertility, but they don't specify that. So you just think, oh, this is so good for me. I have to be doing this. And those are the kind of things that just force you into ignoring your own body and your own needs because you're hearing the studies, which have not been done on females, are so good. And they're so always I think inconclusive. That they're always inconclusive. There's always so many nuances. Like if you actually look up that study, see who or what it was done on and all the different factors. And it's usually such a controlled experiment as well. They don't take in lifestyle factors and stressors and daily life. That None of that is taken into yeah. consideration. If you, and- if you actually understand how to read a study, you're going to end up with mm-hmm. more questions after that study than answers. Every single mm-hmm. person that understands how to read a study. It's true. So, Arago, what advice would you give to someone to help them avoid getting sucked into diet culture? Unfortunately, there really is no magic cure or sentence or phrase that we can give you to help prevent diet culture, dieting, therapeutic diets, the diet rabbit hole, whatever you want to call it from happening. And I actually do think sometimes you have to go through it in order to understand how detrimental it is. But our three biggest tips would be to number one, never start. Just never start counting calories in a negative way, fasting, depriving yourself of macronutrient food groups, None of that. Starting can be the absolute worst part because unless you very quickly stop, it can just suck you in and get harmful very, very quickly. And we're going to talk about this more on probably a different season, but one of the biggest reasons a lot of us in our generation have fallen into diet culture is because of our moms. So if our moms or for us going forward, having daughters and even sons, it's very important to not, not start those those thought patterns and processes in your children's brains. So number one, just don't start. If you're going to start 
looking at your food more critically, do it from a loving and understanding perspective, but not from a deprivation and restriction perspective. Number two would be instead of spending your time restricting yourself, spend your time learning and understanding your body and how it works. Kind of what I just said, understanding is power and knowledge is peace. So the only way out of this is truly learning and understanding food, how it works in your body, understanding your female body. And once you learn how your body truly operates, you can't unlearn it and just start to ignore it and go back to whatever you were doing before, because now you understand and you're seeing how working with your body pays off. So you can't just be like, oh, I learned all that and I did it for a while and now I'm going back to non-organic and tap water and all of that stuff. And then lastly, number three, master your nutrition. So the foundations that we teach unless they or until they are fully ingrained in your lifestyle, work on mastering them and then move on. So you don't have to obsess over food for the rest of your life. This is a learning process. You do have to put in the work. You do have to learn. But the point is to understand it and then have it be the foundation of your life and be able to focus on anything and everything else. So your passions, your hobbies, your work, your kids, your marriage, that's what should be first. And food should be this thing that's constantly in the background. You're constantly going to be making conscious decisions about it, but it's not going to run your life and be a scary, this scary, like unknown thing because you understand it. And honestly, eventually it will just be autopilot. Yeah, for it you. shouldn't. I think that's the biggest thing is it shouldn't become obsessive. So I think that's what usually happens no. for a lot of women when they start learning about health and their body is they become obsessed with it. So that usually happens mm-hmm. in the beginning. I will say a lot of people, once you kind of get into this space and the health and wellness space, mm-hmm. like the holistic health and wellness space, you might become a little bit obsessed for a little while. And after, after you know, maybe a few months, a few years, you start to loosen up a little bit. And it really does. Nutrition just becomes like the back of your hand. You totally start understanding what's working, mm-hmm. what's not for your body. And it just becomes a part of your day-to-day life. It doesn't become super stressful. But if you were to stay in this diet culture mindset, food's always going Mm -hmm. to be stressful and it shouldn't Mm -hmm. be. Food should literally just be a part of your life that you understand, you Mm -hmm. understand what's, what's best for you, what, you know, may not work best for you. And that's it. We don't, you know, it, it shouldn't become this super obsessive, um, obsessive thing, which diet culture does a really great job at doing for us. So (laughs) Right. And in the beginning, it is understandable how it can just be so mind blowing that you're just digging and digging for more information. I mean, when you first start to hear that sugar isn't bad for you, but all these oils that are in literally every food ever pretty much are, it's like your whole world is rocked and you're like, wait, what? And I should be eating frequently instead of fasting and you know, it's just uh, carbs are good for me. I need them for my liver. You know, you're just so mind blown. But once you sort through all of it and our goal on this podcast and what we do in our membership and everything we teach is to try to help that first initial phase, not just become totally so obsessive that it takes over your life, but help provide the information in a fun way while helping you kind of maintain balance and just seeing it as something exciting because it really is truly the key to food freedom. I don't, there's not another way to get to food freedom. There's, there's not. Yeah. And even me being a nutritionist. So I mean, or even Annika, we're 
all the time talking about nutrition. It's a huge part of our life, but it's also a very minuscule part of our life that the same way because we're not obsessing over it. We know what works for our bodies. We understand how our bodies work. We understand what foods are superior, what foods are inferior, what we should be um, eating on the day-to-day basis. And it is, it's just such a minuscule, it's a, it's a big part of our life, but it's also a very minuscule part of our life in the same sense. Yes. So I was just going to say, honestly, the best part for me for all of this and for I know you can relate to this and then we see this in our membership our clients all the time is the confidence that it gives you so you're no longer seeing a magazine cover in the store or a new trendy diet on Instagram or YouTube you know day in the life of a influencer and thinking oh well maybe I should try that maybe maybe that's the key maybe that's what I need once you understand this and start implementing it and seeing the positive changes the confidence that comes with it and the way you're able to just ignore all of that noise is the most liberating thing in the entire world. And, you know, we both have friends that still haven't really dove into this. And so they'll be talking about like a diet that they're trying or something like that. And before I kind of had anxiety over the whole thing. I'd be like, well, they're doing that diet. Maybe I should try that. Maybe, maybe that would be the answer. And now we can just kind of sit there and be like, yep. Yeah, uh, that that does not even phase me anymore. And we ha- we get this feedback from our members a lot too. It's like I used to get so caught up in thinking like I had to fast or I had to do this or my friends would start a new diet or my mom would start a new diet and want me to try it. And now I just yeah, I don't e- I'm not even slightly phased or tempted or swayed from what I know to be true now. So the confidence yeah. that leads to peace, that leads to just. I mean, complete freedom with food is truly, it's so amazing. And I just wish every woman could experience totally. this. And I think that even in the, this is another part is the holistic and therapeutic type diets or lifestyle. And you're going to see a lot of biohackers online, right? Mm-hmm. And the cold plunging yes. and the red light therapy and all of these different biohack things that you can be doing, all these different tools. And we even have women in the membership that used to say, they're like, I, I used to think like, oh, I'm just not cold plunging enough, or I'm just not (laughs) using my red light therapy device enough. (laughs) And after working with us and like, you know, getting a taste of what we're about, they're like, that's absolutely ridiculous that I thought I wasn't cold plunging enough. And that's why this one little symptom isn't going away. So you also have freedom in your life too. It's not yes. just freedom with nutrition, but um, you gain so much more freedom when you start understanding your body and you can just say no to to diets and diet culture. So yeah, so I think we covered a lot here. Um, went on a little tangent about our wedding days, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll wrap this up. In our next episode, we're going to be discussing relearning femininity. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Wild and Well-Fed podcast. On the last episode of each season, we'll answer listener questions. If you have a question for us, please email it to us at wildwellfed at gmail.com for a chance to have your questions answered. If you like this episode, please don't forget to leave us a rating and review. We'll see you again next time.